0: Section Two of Idols of the King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clatt. Idols of the King by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Section Two Gareth and Lynette. Part One. The last tall son of Lot and Bellicent, and tallest, Gareth in a showerful spring stared at the spate. A slender shafted pine lost footing, fell, and so was whirled away. "'How he went down!' said Gareth, as a false knight or evil king before my lance, if lance were mine to use. O senseless cataract, bearing all down in thy precipitancy! and yet thou art but swollen with cold snows, and mine is living blood. Thou dost his will, the Maker's, and not knowest, and I that know have strength and wit in my good mother's hall linger with vacillating obedience, prisoned, and kept and coaxed and whistled to, since the good mother holds me still a child. Good mother is bad mother unto me. A worse were better, yet no worse would I. Heaven yield her for it, but in me put force to weary her ears with one continuous prayer, until she let me fly discaged to sweep in ever-hiring eagle circles up to the great sun of glory, and thence swoop down upon all things base, and dash them dead—a knight of Arthur working out his will to cleanse the world. Why, Gawain, when he came with Modred hither in the summer-time, asked me to tilt with him, the proven knight. Modred, for want of worthier, was the judge. Then I so shook him in the saddle, he said, Thou hast half prevailed against me. Said so, he, though Modred, biting his thin lips, was mute, for he is always silent. What care I?" And Gareth went, and hovering round her chair, asked, "'Mother, though ye count me still the child, sweet mother, do you love the child?' She laughed, "'Thou art but a wild goose to question it.' "'Then, mother, an ye love the child,' he said, "'being a goose, and rather tame than wild. Hear the child's story. Yea, my well-beloved, and twere but of the goose and golden eggs. And Gareth answered her with kindling eyes, Nay, nay, good mother, but this egg of mine was finer gold than any goose can lay. For this an eagle, a royal eagle, laid almost beyond eye-reach, on such a palm as glitters gilded in thy book of hours and there was ever haunting round the palm a lusty youth, but poor, who often saw the splendour sparkling from aloft, and thought, and I could climb and lay my hand upon it, then were I wealthier than a leash of kings. But ever when he reached a hand to climb, one that had loved him from his childhood caught and stayed him. Climb not, Lest thou break thy neck, I charge thee by my love. And so the boy, sweet mother, neither clomb nor break his neck, but break his very heart in pining for it, and passed away. To whom the mother said, True love, sweet son, had risked himself and climbed and handed down the golden treasure to him. And Gareth answered her with kindling eyes, Gold? said I gold? I then, why he, or she, or whosoe'er it was, or half the world had ventured, had the thing I spake of been mere gold. But this was all of that true steel whereof they forged the brand Excalibur, and lightnings played about it in the storm, and all the little fowl were flurried at it, and there were cries and clashings in the nest that sent him from his senses let me go. Then Bellicent bemoaned herself and said, Hast thou no pity upon my loneliness? Lo, where thy father Lot beside the hearth lies like a log and all but smouldered out, for ever since when traitor to the king he fought against him in the baron's war, and Arthur gave him back his territory, his age hath slowly drooped, and now lies there a yet warm corpse, and yet unburyable. no more, nor sees, nor hears, nor speaks, nor knows, and both thy brethren are in Arthur's hall, albeit neither loved with that full love I feel for thee, nor worthy such a love. Stay therefore thou, red berries charm the bird, and thee, mine innocent, the jousts, the wars, who never knewest finger-ache, nor pang of wrenched or broken limb, and often chance in those brain-stunning shocks and turny falls, frights to my heart. But stay, follow the deer by these tall firs, and our fast falling burns. So make thy manhood mightier day by day. Sweet is the chase, and I will seek thee out some comfortable bride and fair, to grace thy climbing life, And cherish my prone year, Till falling into Lot's forgetfulness I know not thee, myself, nor anything. Stay, my best son, Ye are yet more boy than man. Then, Gareth, and ye hold me yet for child, Hear yet once more the story of the child. For, mother, there was once a king, Like ours, The prince, his heir, when tall and marriageable, asked for a bride, and thereupon the king set two before him. One was fair, strong, armed, but to be won by force, and many men desired her. One good lack no man desired. And these were the conditions of the king. That save he won the first by force, he needs must wed that other, whom no man desired, A red-faced bride who knew herself so vile That evermore she longed to hide herself, Nor fronted man or woman eye to eye, Yea, some she cleaved to, but they died of her. And one, they called her fame, And one, O mother, how can ye keep me tethered to you? Shame! Man am I grown, a man's work must I do. Follow the deer? Follow the Christ, the King, live pure, speak true, right wrong, follow the King, else wherefore born? To whom the mother said, Sweet son, for there be many who deem him not or will not deem him wholly proven King, albeit in mine own heart I knew him King, when I was frequent with him in my youth, and heard him kingly speak, and doubted him no more than he himself but felt him mine, of closest kin to me. Yet wilt thou leave thine easeful biding here, and risk thine all, life, limbs, for one that is not proven king? Stay till the cloud that settles round his birth hath lifted but a little. Stay, sweet son." And Gareth answered quickly, "'Not an hour, so that ye yield me. I will walk through fire, mother, to gain it your full leave to go. Not proven who swept the dust of ruined Rome from off the threshold of the realm and crushed the idolaters and made the people free? Who should be king, save him who makes us free? So when the queen, who long had sought in vain to break him from the intent to which he grew, found her son's will unwaveringly won, she answered craftily, Will ye walk through fire? Who walks through fire will hardly heed the smoke. Ay, go then, and ye must. Only one proof, before thou ask the king to make thee knight, Of thine obedience and thy love to me, thy mother, I demand. And Gareth cried, A hard one or a hundred, so I go. Nay, quick, the proof to prove me to the quick. But slowly spake the mother, looking at him, Prince, thou shalt go disguised to Arthur's Hall, and hire thyself to serve for meats and drinks among the scullions and the kitchen knaves, and those that hand the dish across the bar. Nor shalt thou tell thy name to any one, and thou shalt serve a twelvemonth and a day. For so the queen believed that when her son beheld his only way to glory, Led low down through village kitchen vassalage, Her own true Gareth was too princely proud to pass thereby. So, should he rest with her, closed in her castle from the sound of arms. Silent a while was Gareth, then replied, The thrall in person may be free in soul, and I shall see the jousts. Thy son am I, and since thou art my mother, must obey. I therefore yield me freely to thy will. For hence will I, disguised, and hire myself to serve with scullions and with kitchen-knaves, nor tell my name to any—no, not the king." Gareth a while lingered, the mother's eye, full of the wistful fear that he would go, and turning toward him whereso'er he turned, perplexed his outward purpose, till an hour, when wakened by the wind which with full voice swept bellowing through the darkness on to dawn, he rose, and out of slumber calling to that still had tended on him from his birth, before the wakeful mother heard him, went. The three were clad like tillers of the soil, southward they set their faces, the birds made melody on branch and melody in mid-air, the damp hill-slopes were quickened into green, and the live green had kindled into flowers, for it was past the time of Easter-day. So, when their feet were planted on the plain that broadened toward the base of Camelot, far off they saw the silver misty morn, rolling her smoke about the royal mount, that rose between the forest and the field. At times the summit of the high city flashed, at times the spires and turrets half-way down pricked through the mist. At times the great gate shone only, that opened on the field below. Anon the whole fair city had disappeared. Then those who went with Gareth were amazed, one crying, Let us go no further, Lord. Here is a city of enchanters, built by fairy kings. The second echoed him, Lord, we have heard from our wise man at home to northward that this king is not the king, but only changeling out of fairyland, who drave the heathen hence by sorcery and Merlin's glamour. Then, the first again, Lord, there is no such city anywhere, but all a vision. Gareth answered them with laughter, swearing he had glamour enow in his own blood, his princedom youth and hopes to plunge old merlin in the arabian sea so pushed them all unwilling toward the gate and there was no gate like it under heaven for barefoot on the keystone which was lined and rippled like an ever fleeting wave the lady of the lake stood all her dress wept from her sides as water flowing way but like the cross her great and goodly arms stretched under the cornice and upheld and drops of water fell from either hand, and down from one a sword was hung, from one a censer, either worn with wind and storm. And o'er her breast floated the sacred fish, and in the space to left of her and right were Arthur's wars in weird devices done. New things and old co-twisted, as if time were nothing, so inveterately, that men were giddy gazing there and over all high on the top were those three queens, the friends of Arthur, who should help him at his need. Then those with Gareth for so long a space stared at these figures, that at last it seemed the dragon-bouts and elvish emblemings began to move, seethe, twine, and curl. They called to Gareth, Lord, the gateway is alive! and Gareth likewise on them fixed his eyes so long that even to him they seemed to move. Out of the city a blast of music pealed. Back from the gate started the three, to whom from out thereunder came an ancient man, long bearded, saying, Who be ye, my sons? Then Gareth, We be tillers of the soil, who leaving share and furrow come to see the glories of our King. But these, my men, Your city moved so weirdly in the mist. Doubt if the king be king at all, or come from fairyland, and whether this be built by magic and by fairy kings and queens, or whether there be any city at all or all a vision, and this music now hath scared them both, but tell thou these the truth." Then that old seer made answer, playing on him and saying, Son, I have seen the good ships sail keel upward, and mast downward in the heavens, and solid turrets topsy-turvy in air. And here is truth. But an it please thee not, take thou the truth as thou hast told it me. For truly as thou sayest, a fairy king and fairy queens have built the city, son. They came from out a sacred mountain cleft toward the sunrise, each with harp in hand, and built it to the music of their harps. And, as thou sayest, it is enchanted, son, for there is nothing in it as it seems, saving the king, though some there be that hold the king a shadow and the city real. Yet take thou heed of him, for so thou pass beneath this archway, then wilt thou become a thrall to his enchantments. For the king will bind thee by such vows, as is a shame a man should not be bound by. Yet the which no man can keep. But so thou dread to swear, pass not beneath this gateway, but abide without among the cattle of the field. For an ye heard a music, like enow they are building still, seeing the city is built to music, therefore never built at all, and therefore built for ever. Gareth spake angered old master reverence thine own beard that looks as white as utter truth and seems well nigh as long as thou art statured tall why mockest thou the stranger that hath been to thee fair spoken but the seer replied know ye not then the riddling of the bards confusion and illusion and relation illusion and occasion and evasion I mock thee not, but as thou mockest me, and all that see thee, for thou art not who thou seemest, but I know thee who thou art. And now thou goest up to mock the king, who cannot brook the shadow of any lie." Unmockingly the mocker ending here turned to the right and passed along the plain, whom Gareth looking after said, "My men." our one white lie sits like a little ghost here on the threshold of our enterprise. Let love be blamed for it—not she nor I. Well, we will make amends." With all good cheer he spake and laughed, then entered with his twain Camelot, a city of shadowy palaces and stately, rich in emblem, and the work of ancient kings who did their days in stone, which Merlin's hand, the mage at Arthur's court, knowing all arts, had touched, and everywhere at Arthur's ordinance, tipped with lessening peak and pinnacle, and had made it spire to heaven. And ever and anon, a knight would pass outward or inward to the hall, his arms clashed, and the sound was good to Gareth's ear. And out of bower and casement, shyly glanced eyes of pure women, wholesome stars of love and all about a healthful people stepped as in the presence of a gracious king. Then into hall Gareth ascending heard a voice, the voice of Arthur, and beheld far overheads in that long vaulted hall the splendour of the presence of the king throned, and delivering doom, and looked no more but felt his young heart hammering in his ears, and thought, for this half shadow of a lie! the truthful King will doom me when I speak. Yet pressing on, though all in fear to find Sir Gawain or Sir Modred, saw nor one nor other, but in all the listening eyes of those tall knights that ranged about the throne, clear honour shining like the dewy star of dawn, and faith in their great King, with pure affection and the light of victory, and glory gained and evermore to gain. Then came a widow crying to the king, A boon, sir king, thy father Uther reft from my dead lord a field with violence, for howsoe'er at first he proffered gold, yet for the field was pleasant in our eyes we yielded not, and then he reft us of it perforce, and left us neither gold nor field. Said Arthur, whether would ye, gold or field? To whom the woman weeping, Nay, my lord, the field was pleasant in my husband's eye. And Arthur, have thy pleasant field again, and thrice the gold for Uther's use thereof according to the years. No boon is here but justice, so thy say be proven true. Accursed, who from the wrongs his father did would shape himself aright." And while she passed came yet another widow crying to him, a boon sir king thine enemy king am i with thine own hand thou slewest my dear lord a knight of uther in the baron's war when lot and many another rose and fought against thee saying thou wert basely born i held with these and loath to ask thee aught yet lo my husband's brother had my son thralled in his castle and hath starved him dead and standeth seized of that inheritance which thou that slewest the sire hast left the son. So, though I scarce can ask it thee for hate, grant me some knight do the battle for me, kill the foul thief, and wreck me for my son. Then strode a good knight forward, crying to him, A boon, sir king, I am her kinsman, I. Give me to right her wrong and slay the man.' Then came Sir Kay, the seneschal, and cried, A boon, Sir King, even that thou grant her none, This railer that hath mocked thee in full hall, None, or the wholesome boon of jive and gag. But Arthur, we sit king, to help the wronged through all our realm. The woman loves her lord. Peace to thee, woman, with thy loves and hates the kings of old had doomed thee to the flames. Aurelius Emrys would have scourged thee dead, and Uther slit thy tongue. But get thee hence, lest that rough humour of the kings of old return upon me. Thou that art her kin, go likewise. Lay him low, and slay him not, but bring him here that I may judge the right according to the justice of the king." then be he guilty by that deathless king who lived and died for men the man shall die then came in hall the messenger of mark a name of evil savour in the land the cornish king in either hand he bore what dazzled all and shone far off as shines a field of charlock in the sudden sun between two showers a cloth of palest gold which down he laid before the throne, and knelt, delivering that his lord, the vassal king, was even upon his way to Camelot. For having heard that Arthur of his grace had made his goodly cousin Tristram knight, and for himself was of the greater state, being a king, he trusted his liege lord would yield him this large honour all the more. So prayed him well to accept this cloth of gold in token of true heart and fealty. Then Arthur cried to rend the cloth, to rend it in pieces, and so cast it on the hearth. An oak-tree smouldered there. The goodly knight! What! shall the shield of Mark stand among these? For midway down the side of that long hall a stately pile, whereof along the front some blazoned, some but carven, and some blank, there ran a treble range of stony shields, rose and high arching overbrowed the hearth. And under every shield a knight was named, for this was Arthur's custom in his hall. When some good knight had done one noble deed his arms were carven only, but if twain his arms were blazoned also, but if none the shield was blank and bare without a sign saving the name beneath. And Gareth saw the shield of Gawain blazoned rich and bright and Modred's blank as death. And Arthur cried to rend the cloth and cast it on the hearth. More like are we to reeve him of his crown than make him knight because men call him king. The kings we found, ye know we stayed their hands from war among themselves, but left them kings. Of whom were any bounteous, merciful, truth-speaking, brave, good livers? Them we enrolled among us, and they sit within our hall. But, as Mark hath tarnished the great name of King, as Mark would sully the low state of Churl, and seeing he hath sent us cloth of gold, return and meet, and hold him from our eyes, lest we should lap him up in a cloth of lead, silenced for ever, craven, a man of plots, craft, poisonous counsels, wayside ambushings, no fault of thine. Let Kay the Seneschal look to thy wants, and send thee satisfied—accursed, who strikes nor lets the hand be seen." And many another suppliant crying came, with noise of ravage wrought by beast and man, and evermore a knight would ride away. Last Gareth, leaning both hands heavily down on the shoulders of the twain, his men, approached between them toward the king, and asked, a boon sir king his voice was all ashamed for see ye not how weak and hunger-worn i seem leaning on these grant me to serve for meat and drink among thy kitchen knaves a twelvemonth and a day nor seek my name hereafter i will fight to him the king a goodly youth and worth a goodlier boon but so thou wilt no goodlier then must Kay, the master of the meats and drinks, be thine. He rose and passed. Then Kay, a man of mien, wan sallow as the plant that feels itself root-bitten by white lichen. Lo ye now! This fellow hath broken from some abbey. Where God wot, he had not beef and brewis enow, however that might chance. But an he work, like any pigeon will I cram his crop, and sleeker shall he shine than any hog. Then Lancelot, standing near, Sir Seneschal, sleuth-hound thou knowest, and grey, and all the hounds, a horse thou knowest, a man thou dost not know. Broad brows and fair, affluent hair and fine, high nose a nostril large and fine and hands large fair and fine some young lad's mystery but or from Sheepcut or king's hall the boy is noble-natured treat him with all grace lest he should come to shame thy judging of him then k what murmurest thou of mystery think ye this fellow will poison the king's dish Nay, for he spake too fool-like—mystery! Tut, and the lad were noble, he had asked for horse and armour—fair and fine forsooth! Sir fine-face, Sir fair-hands! But see thou to it that thine own fineness, Lancelot, some fine day undo thee not, and leave my man to me. So Gareth all for glory underwent the sooty yoke of kitchen vassalage, ate with young lads his portion by the door, and couched at night with grimy kitchen-knaves. And Lancelot ever spake him pleasantly. But Kay, the seneschal, who loved him not, would hustle and harry him, and labour him beyond his comrade of the hearth, and set to turn the brooch, draw water, or hew wood, or grosser tasks and Gareth bowed himself with all obedience to the king, and wrought all kind of service with a noble ease that graced the lowliest act in doing it. And when the thralls had talk among themselves, and one would praise the love that linked the king and Lancelot, how the king had saved his life in battle twice, and Lancelot once the king's—for Lancelot was the first in tournament, but Arthur mightiest on the battlefield. gareth was glad or, if some other told, how once the wandering forester at dawn, far over the blue tarns and hazy seas, on Caer Ares highest found the king, a naked babe, of whom the prophets spake. He passes to the isle avilion, he passes and is healed and cannot die. Gareth was glad. But if their talk were foul, then would he whistle rapid as any lark, or carol some old roundelay and so loud that first they mocked, but after reverenced him. Or Gareth, telling some prodigious tale of knights, who sliced a red life-bubbling way through twenty folds of twisted dragon, held all in a gap-mouthed circle his good mates, lying or sitting round him, idle hands, charmed, till Sir Kay, the seneschal, would come blustering upon them like a sudden wind among dead leaves, and drive them all apart or when the thralls had sport among themselves so there were any trial of mastery he by two yards in casting bar or stone was counted best and if there chanced a joust so that sir Kay nodded him leave to go would hurry thither and when he saw the knights clash like the coming and retiring wave and the spear spring and good horse reel the boy was half beyond himself for ecstasy so for a month he wrought among the thralls. But in the weeks that followed, the good queen, repentant of the word she made him swear, and saddening in her childless castle, sent between the increscent and decrescent moon, arms for her son, and loosed him from his vow. This, Gareth hearing from a squire of Lot with whom he used to play at tourney once, when both were children, and in lonely haunts would scratch a ragged oval on the sand, And each at either dash from either end. Shame never made girl redder than Gareth joy. He laughed, he sprang. Out of the smoke at once I leap from Satan's foot To Peter's knee. These news be mine, none others. Nay, the king's, descend into the city. Whereon he sought the king alone, And found and told him all. I have staggered thy strong Gawain in a tilt for pastime, yea, he said it, joust can I. Make me thy knight, in secret, let my name be hidden and give me the first quest, I spring like flame from ashes." Here the king's calm eye fell on and checked and made him flush and bow lowly to kiss his hand, who answered him, son? The good mother let me know thee here, and sent her wish that I would yield thee thine. Make thee my knight? My knights are sworn to vows of utter hardihood, utter gentleness, and loving, utter faithfulness and love, and uttermost obedience to the king. Then Gareth, lightly springing from his knees, My king, for hardihood I can promise thee, for uttermost obedience make demand of whom ye gave me to, the seneschal, no mellow master of the meats and drinks. And as for love, God wot I love not yet, but love I shall, God willing. And the king, Make thee my knight in secret? Yea, but he, our noblest brother and our truest man, and one with me in all, he needs must know let lancelot know my king let lancelot know thy noblest and thy truest and the king but wherefore would ye men should wonder at you nay rather for the sake of me their king and the deeds sake my knighthood do the deed than to be noised of merrily gareth asked have i not earned my cake in baking of it let be my name until i make my name my deeds will speak It is but for a day." So with a kindly hand on Gareth's arm smiled the great king, and half unwillingly loving his lusty youthhood, yielded to him. Then after summoning Lancelot privily, I have given him the first quest. He is not proven. Look therefore when he calls for this in hall. Thou get to horse and follow him far away cover the lions on thy shield, and see far as thou mayest he be nor tain nor slain. Then, that same day, there passed into the hall a damsel of high lineage, and a brow may blossom, and a cheek of apple-blossom, hawk-eyes, and lightly was her slender nose tip-tilted like the petal of a flower. She into hall passed with her page and cried, O king! For thou hast driven the foe without, See to the foe within. Bridge, ford, beset by bandits, Every one that owns a tower, The lord for half a league. Why sit ye there! Rest would I not, Sir King, And I were king, Till even the lonest hold Were all as free from cursed bloodshed As thine altar-cloth from that best blood It is a sin to spill. Comfort thyself, Arthur said. I nor mine rest, So my knighthood keep the vows they swore, The wastest moorland of our realm Shall be safe, damsel, As the centre of this hall. What is thy name? Thy need? My name? she said. Lynette, my name. Noble. My need? A knight to combat for my sister Leonor, A lady of high lineage, of great lands, And comely, yea, and comelier than myself. She lives in castle perilous, a river runs in three loops about her living place, and o'er it are three passings, and three knights defend the passings, brethren, and a fourth and of that four the mightiest holds her staid in her own castle, and so besieges her to break her will and make her wed with him, and but delays his purport till thou send to do the battle with him thy chief man, Sir Lancelot. Whom he trusts to overthrow, then wed with glory. But she will not wed, save whom she loveth, or a holy life. Now, therefore, have I come for Lancelot. Then Arthur, mindful of Sir Gareth, asked, Damsel, ye know this order lives to crush all wrongers of the realm. But say, these four, who be they? What the fashion of the men? They be a foolish fashion, O Sir King, the fashion of that old knight-errantry who ride abroad and do but what they will, courteous or bestial from the moment, such as have nor law nor king. And three of these, proud in their fantasy, call themselves the Day, Morning Star, and Noon Sun, and Evening Star, being strong fools. And never a whit more wise the fourth, who alway rideth armed in black, a huge man-beast of boundless savagery. He names himself the Knight, and oftener Death, and wears a helmet mounted with a skull, and bears a skeleton figured on his arms, to show that who may slay or scape the three, slain by himself, shall enter endless night. And all these four be fools, but mighty men, and therefore am I come for Lancelot. Hereat Sir Gareth called from where he rose, a head with kindling eyes above the throng. A boon, Sir King, this quest! Then, for he marked Kay near him groaning like a wounded bull, Yea, King, thou knowest thy kitchen knave am I, and mighty through thy meats and drinks am I, and I can topple over a hundred such. Thy promise, King! And Arthur, glancing at him, brought down a momentary brow rough, sudden, and pardonable, worthy to be knight. Go, therefore." And all hearers were amazed. But on the damsel's forehead shame, pride, wrath slew the Maywhite. She lifted either arm. "'Fie on thee, King! I asked for thy chief knight, and thou hast given me but a kitchen-knave." Then, ere a man in hall could stay her, turned, fled down the lane of access to the king, took horse, descended the slope street, and passed the weird white gate, and paused without, beside the field of tourney, murmuring, Kitchen Knave. Now two great entries opened from the hall, at one end one that gave upon a range of level pavement where the king would pace at sunrise, gazing over plain and wood, and down from this a lordly stairway sloped, till lost in blowing trees and tops of towers, and out by this main doorway passed the king. But one was counter to the hearth, and rose high that the highest-crested helm could ride there through nor graze. And by this entry fled the damsel in her wrath, and on to this Sir Gareth strode, and saw without the door King Arthur's gift, the worth of half a town, a war-horse of the best, and near it stood the two that out of north had followed him. This bare a maiden shield, a cask, that held the horse, the spear. Whereat Sir Gareth loosed a cloak that dropped from collar-bone to heel, a cloth of roughest web, and cast it down, and from it, like a fuel-smothered fire that looked half dead, break bright and flashed as those dull-coated things that making slide apart their dusk wing-cases, all beneath there burns a jewelled harness, ere they pass and fly. So Gareth, ere he parted, flashed in arms. Then as he donned the helm and took the shield and mounted horse and grasped the spear, of grain storm-strengthened on a windy site, and tipped with trenchant steel, Around him slowly pressed the people, while from out of kitchen came the thralls and throng, and seeing who had worked lustier than any, and whom they could but love, mounted in arms, threw up their caps and cried, God bless the king and all his fellowship. And on through lanes of shouting Gareth rode, down the slope street, and passed without the gate. End of section 2